So it's just one verse. Blink and you might miss it. So the reading is from Matthew 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to Really good evening to all of you. Um, if you've not met me before, my name is Simon and uh, I'm the vicar here at Christ Church. It's an absolute pleasure to be with you tonight and to open up uh, this series looking at a chunk of Matthew's Gospel that we're going to be looking at over the next couple of months, really right through until Christmas. Now I want you to imagine uh, for a second, just I want you first, to, if you could just look around the room, just kind of just, you know, do a whole 360, just like look at everybody and um, how would you describe, like just turn to your neighbour, how would you describe the people in this room? If you had to give them a, how would you describe them? I was over there, I was over here, exactly. Great. So, you might use, you might use lots and lots of different ways and words to describe what you see in the room. But tonight we are here because when Jesus sees his church, one of the words that he wants to use of us, that we want to explore tonight, he says, you are the salt of the earth. Now that might really not mean very much to you, so we're going to just try and drill into that and see what it means uh, for Jesus to say to us as a group not to individual people, but to say to the church as a group, you are the salt of the earth. And I really believe that um, as we look into this, this is really going to change potentially the way you think about the church, but also the way you think about your own uh, role within the church. And particularly if you're new here or you're just settling in here, we hope this is a really exciting expression of what the church uh, can be. It's not sitting around, it's not being passive, it's about doing something really important in the world. So that's where we're heading uh, tonight. Now, what you need to know about the verse that uh, Rosie read is that immediately before it uh, comes a bit uh, at the very, very start of the Sermon on the Mount that are often called the Beatitudes. And uh, we looked at those a couple of years ago, and those are, and I think you're doing them in life this year. Oh, fantastic. It's like, it's like we almost planned things, wasn't it? Uh, and so um, you'll be looking at, so, but these are a, a series of really short um, little sayings of Jesus that describe where blessing is to be found. And the extraordinary thing about them that we saw a couple of years ago is that Jesus says, it's like, it's like he gets a big signpost and he bangs it into the ground and he says, if you want to find and experience blessing, then it's over here. Here's the place. You know, because many of us are looking, aren't we, for blessing and for encounter with God and for experiences that will shape us and change us. And in these eight things, Jesus says, Here's where that happens. And the astonishing thing is that they all are places that none of us really want to go. 
And they're all places that none of us would think to look for God's blessing. He starts off by saying, blessed are the people who are poor in spirit, people who are broken inside. He says, that's the people. That's the people who are in the kingdom of God, who know what it's about. And he goes on to talk about other people, people who hunger and thirst for justice. So painful to have to hunger and thirst for justice. And yet God says, that's where blessing is. God says, there's blessing in the people who are meek, who are humble, who don't big themselves up. He says, uh, there's blessing uh, for the people uh, who are peacemakers, who work hard in the situations that they're in uh, to bring the peace, the shalom of God. So all of that has happened in Matthew 5. And then what happens next is essentially Jesus is asking the question, well, if you've got a bunch of people uh, who started to live that kind of life, who found the blessing in being broken, who started to thirst for what was just and what was right, who started to work for peace in our world. What, what kind of impact would that group of people have? What kind of, what kind of mark would they leave uh, on the world? And uh, Jesus gives two pictures to exactly help us understand that. The first is the one that Rosie read tonight. You are the salt of the earth. And the second that we're going to be looking at next week is you are the light of the world. I wonder what you think uh, Jesus meant uh, when he said of Christian people, you are the salt of the earth. It's sometimes used in like English today to describe people who are a bit down to earth and they're kind of, they're a bit rugged and, um, you know, they're no messing. They're not, not pompous and full of themselves. They're just down to earth. That's not really uh, what Jesus meant. The most important thing about salt in Jesus's time as compared, you know, so for us now, salt is something really that we add as flavor to food. And we're as much worried about having too much salt as we are about anything else. And uh, salt is something that's on the side in your kitchen and you might or you may not add it to the things that you cook. Uh, salt in Jesus's day was completely different. Salt was there to preserve things, to keep them from going bad. So you used a little bit of salt on meat and other things uh, at a time when there was no refrigeration. So you couldn't put things in the freezer, couldn't put them in the fridge. They'd only last more than a couple of days if you treated them with salt, and the salt would stop them going off and would stop them spoiling. So that's the key thing that Jesus had in mind when he said to us, you are the salt of the earth. Now, if you've ever received a salary, or you're hoping one day when you finish uni uh, or when you've left school that you will get a salary. The reason it's called a salary is because Roman soldiers were paid in salt. So if you're a Roman soldier at the time of Jesus, you weren't paid in money, you were paid in salt because salt was so essential to life and so essential to people keeping well that that's how they paid you. So if there was no salt, there was no food. If there was no salt, there was no life. So when Jesus says that as Christians we are the salt of the earth, he is giving us this hope-filled way to think of ourselves. So again, look around the room. We are 
together. We are the salt of this particular part of the earth. There is lots of decay. There is lots of despair in our world. To be honest, there's enough of it in our own hearts and our own families. And as we look wider in our communities and across the world, there is much that is decaying and there is much despair. And those are the very places that we are called to go as Christians, the difficult places, the frustrating places, the disappointing places. Uh, and we're supposed to go there to the places of decay and the places of despair and we're to bring God's healing and to bring God's wholeness. And we have a calling as the church. The church as a, our calling is not to retreat into a little holy huddle it's not to hibernate, but it's to be a love-filled, hope-filled presence in the places of decay and despair in our world. I want you for a moment, I want for a moment just for you to picture uh, for you where that might be. So when I, think, when I say the words decay and despair, what immediately comes to mind? Is it a place? Is it a person? Is it a relationship? Is it a, a, a part of your life in your work or in your school uh, or in your university? But where, where do you immediately think of as being places of decay and despair? Because those are the very places that God is calling you to, to be his salt, to be the person, to be part of the community that is bringing healing and that is stopping things being spoilt and is stopping things at going off. Of course, much of us spend much of our time frustrated with other people, and we want to give up on them. We don't want to love them. We don't want to help the decay. We don't want to help the despair. We just want to be around people who are lovely and beautiful and everything straight and whole and wholesome. And yet Jesus, when he says, you are the salt of the earth, He's calling us to those difficult and unlikely places. And when we go there, what are we to be? We're not to be bossy, going in and telling people they've got it wrong. We're not to be judgmental, again, going in and telling people, oh, all the things that you've done wrong. When we go in to those places, if we are Jesus' people, if we're beatitude people, then what do we do? We, we, are, we go in and we're weak and we're meek and we're hungry for justice. We go in in utter humility. And the invitation is to come and be part of this community of healing. And for us, from this community of healing, to be going out to the places of decay and the places of despair and making a difference for God there. Now the church is often at its best when we do this, and it's often at its worst when we don't do this. And I want to give you two examples. Come back with me 2,000 years uh, to Rome, say the, the Romans, say the first, second, and third centuries. Historians have described uh, something that they call the first sexual revolution. In Roman culture, Roman culture was a culture uh, that was for sexual bullies. It's the only way you can describe it. If you were a high-ranking man, you could have sex with whoever you wanted. 
If you were a high-born woman, you had to stay faithful to your husband. If you were a lower-ranking woman, you could not deny any man who wanted to have sex with you, whatever you thought about him. It was a culture of endemic sexual bullying where rich, important men could have sexual gratification with anybody they wanted. Into that situation come Christians. And Christians are both teaching and living something completely different. And that is that the very best sex is consensual, two people mutually agreeing, and it's covenantal. It's between people, a man and a woman, who have given themselves before God to each other. And that was a revolution that took place, that began to change for good the lives of thousands and thousands of people. And of course, sexual bullying and predation has not gone away hasn't gone away at all and we experience many of the same things today and it's as important as ever that Christian people are there teaching and living and modeling something that is different because our culture has lost touch with what it means in biblical terms to have great sex come back with me 30 years to the Kingdom of Jordan, just sort of just next to Syria and Israel in the 1990s. There was a big war going on in the 1990s there in Iraq, and thousands of Iraqi refugees were coming across the border into Jordan. And the people of Jordan then, in the 1990s, as now, uh, during uh, the, the war in Syria, were absolutely fantastic, opening their homes, opening their lives. And the King of Jordan, who was called King, of Hussein, uh, King Hussein, he reached out to the churches, and there aren't many churches in, in Jordan. It's a predominantly Muslim country. And he said to them, could you please help? Could the churches, could the Christians help in housing uh, Iraqi refugees and in uh, making them welcome in the kingdom? And thousands upon thousands of Christians did exactly that. They took in their Muslim neighbors, and uh, they made them new homes, and they welcomed them in. And King Hussein, writing uh, after the war, uh, said uh, this it's an absolutely fascinating thing that he said. He said, Christians are less than 1% of the population of Jordan, but they are the glue that holds this country together. I think Jesus might have used the word salt, uh, but we know what he means, uh, King Hussein, by glue. This tiny minority of people having a massive impact beyond their size. And that's the thing about salt. A little bit of salt goes a long, long way. And that's why Jesus uses that image to encourage us that we need to be his people, his presence in the places of decay and despair. So as we finish, what might it look like for us together as part of this church community to live and work as the salt of this patch of earth? You've got to go back to the Beatitudes that are at the start of chapter 5, and I'm so glad that students are going to be looking at those this term. Uh, they describe what it's like to have your life turned upside down by Jesus and by his grace and by his forgiveness. And that has to happen first. 
can't do it any other way. You can't start to try and be a good person and you can't start and try and make a difference in the world until first you've come face to face with Jesus and you've laid all your stuff before him, all your failures, all your pride, all your vanity, and you've let him start to turn your life uh, upside down. That's got to happen first. But then other things happen. Then you begin to be ready to live for God and to live for your neighbor. And you begin to be ready to get stuck into the places of decay and despair and neglect. Understanding that that will always require sacrifice. It's never going to be pain-free. It's never going to be easy. We know that our imperfect service that we offer will be offensive. It will be offensive to some in our decaying world because a decaying world likes to paper over the cracks and pretend everything is fine. So some will be offended. We will be jeered at. We will be patronized. We'll be told to mind our own business. In other parts of the world, pray God not here at the moment, we'd be run out of town as churches often are in parts of the world where the church is persecuted. Church arrives in a place, starts doing really cool stuff. The local mayor, local businesses, they just run them out of town because they don't like the way that Christians in love are challenging the status quo. We also know that our service will be deeply attractive to some. There are many people, including people in this church, in a sense, who've become Christians because they've seen love and service and gifting and time and generosity all come together in the most beautiful way. And they've seen in the lives of a group of Christians or even an individual Christian something that is unique and that is powerful and that is really sort of beguiling and dazzling in its beauty. Now, I know there are some chemists amongst you or some more scientifically-minded people who will know that salt, which is sodium chloride, uh, is in fact a very stable compound. So salt doesn't stop being salt. You could, you could dig out a thing of salt that's been at the back of your granny's cupboard for 40 years and it would still taste like salt if it had been left in the jar. But salt, in Jesus' day in particular, was often mixed with other things. So it could be mixed with sand or mixed with dust or mixed with other minerals. So you, you might be given something that sort of looks like salt, but it's only 20% salt, and the rest is dust and sand and rubbish. If you take that mixture of 20% salt and 80% other stuff, and you rub it into some meat or into some vegetables to try and preserve them, it just won't work. And if someone said to you, well, here's a bucket that is 20% salt and 80% rubbish, and can you please pick out the individual bits of salt? You can't. It's absolutely impossible. So all that bucket for... All it's good for is to be thrown out. It's completely and utterly useless. And that's the point that Jesus is making. It's a warning that he gives us alongside this hope-filled picture of the church. We, together, are supposed to be a life-giving, standout minority. We're always going to be the minority in our culture. We bless the earth by staying true to Jesus 
and retaining our distinctive flavor. We don't blend and bend with the culture. We love the culture. We love the people in it. But we don't try and be exactly like the decaying world around us. We are Jesus' people called to serve a broken world. A world which will sometimes dismiss us or revile us. And a world that will sometimes stop and see the beauty of the gospel in lives of service and patience and love. So here's the challenge. You are, we are, the salt of the earth. We're called to the places of decay. We're called to the places of despair. We don't overlook either of those things in our hearts. And of course, we have an ongoing job as disciples of Jesus to let him in and to put some of those right. But when he does that, when he starts to turn our lives upside down, when we find that we see his blessing and experience his blessing in experiences like being broken or in experiences like feeling this growing sense of thirst for what is just and to start to put some things right that are going so badly in our world. When we have those experiences, he is preparing us and propelling us out into our world. Uh, Next week, we're going to be looking at what it means uh, to be the light of the world. But this week, I just want you to focus in on that calling to be salt, to be in the places of decay and despair, and to bring the beauty of Jesus to those places. Amen.